Hello, my little hormones. Welcome back to the No Fucks Given Guide to Queer History. This week, we're dipping our genderless wicks into the question on every medieval peasant's mind. Was Joan of Arc really non-binary? Now, for those of you who have been living under a rock for the past 600 years, Joan of Arc was the French cross-dressing warrior and prophetess of the Hundred Years' War, who led the French to victory over the English. And in the last few decades, the question of whether she was non-binary or not has come up more than once. That's because Joan of Arc is one of the most represented figures in history. We've made plays about her, films, novels, songs. Her story, which is literally unbelievable at times, means a million things to a million different people. In her own lifetime, she was a celebrity for liberating French cities from English invaders. She also became the patron saint of modern France, and later generations would take her name as a byword for liberty. People from early feminists in the 18th century to American abolitionists, and then more recently, a far-right party of French monarchists whose website I went on to try to understand what they're about. And their whole thing is apparently that they um, think that democracy is not doing a great job because the world is on fire, and so monarchy should come back. And I have to tell you, I found myself reading their manifesto and being like, um, maybe they have a point. But enough about my ongoing right-wing radicalization. Joan has also become a symbol to a lot of people. She's a symbol for feminists, first and foremost, because she was a remarkable woman in their eyes, in our eyes. She succeeded at so many medieval male pursuits, like riding horses, not wearing dresses, and totally murdering the fuck out of people. Some people nowadays in the year of our Lord 2023 also claim that she is an icon of queer representation in an age that's not exactly known for its queers. We often view the medieval period as what we often call the medieval period, the dark ages for queer people and everyone else. So maybe Joan was this gender non-conforming firework illuminating the starless night of medieval history. Wow, God, I'm good. Or was she, um, how do I put this elegantly, not that? Now, the fate of a medieval white woman hangs in the balance. This is serious. So get your they-them kinis on and come on in. The water is human temperature. So let's go back in time and take another rewrite through our history. Celebrate ourselves tonight and cover all the things that's still a mystery. Okay, so Joan of Arc, saint, Catholic, God, freedom, burned at the stake, yada, 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 yada. But who in the he, she, they was this person? Where did she come from? Where did she go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Everyone, to this day, including many historians, tells Joan's story like it was inevitable, like it all just makes perfect divine sense. And I hope you can tell from my tone of voice, reader, that I do not agree. Joan, or Jeanne d'Arc, and yes, you will be hearing my most obnoxious French accent once more for this episode, was born in 1412 in Don Rémy, a small village in what is now northeastern France. The story goes she grew up a humble peasant girl, herding cattle, spinning wool, 
jumping around in the fields of lavender, until at the age of 13, she began receiving visions from the big guy upstairs. He, capital H-I-M, told her to go to war and save France. She did as she was told, went and found the king, convinced him to give her an army, and save France from the treacherous English. After completing her divine mission of crowning the king of France, she was captured and sold to the English. The unjust and unholy trial that followed, in which 60 or so learned men essentially bullied an illiterate 19-year-old girl, eventually condemned her to death for heresy on 70 counts, including, of course, the capital crime of wearing men's clothes. Joan of Arc died on May 30th, 1431, burned at the stake, a martyr and a visionary. And that is the end of our episode. Certainly not. There is so much about Joan's story that doesn't add up. I can't go into all of it here, but let's just ask a few questions so we can try to understand who the real Joan is, because I think that's important for asking whether or not she was non-binary. For one thing, anyone with a brain knows that Joan's visions and prophecies didn't come from God. So who did they come from? Was Joan mentally ill, as a lot of people have posited? Or was she genuinely experiencing some kind of visions, who knows where they were from, and were powerful people around her taking advantage of that? This is a legitimate question that you'd be surprised how many reputable historians just completely gloss over. There's also important backstory to Joan's meteoric rise. The French prince at the time is Charles VII, right? And he's in a bind when Joan arrives on the scene. The Hundred Years' War between the English and French has been raging for, say it with me, 100 years. The English have been occupying France and working with the Burgundians, who are Eastern French people, against the French crown, because France is kind of broken up into these different territories at the time. Charles has also been recently disinherited by his own mother, who claims he was illegitimate. And she does that to get back at him because he's kind of double-crossed her. And so she basically gives the French kingdom to the English king, Henry V. And then to add insult, the French had just been sorely defeated by the English at the Battle of Agincourt in 1415. Because apparently the French didn't know about bows and arrows. So things were not going well. Now... Conveniently for Joan, the French are also suckers for religious superstition. This was a time of deep religiosity. God and the devil are real. We have to understand, it's a, we have to put ourselves in a different frame of mind. God's wrath is real. Prophecies, astrologers, seers are everywhere. All right, maybe it's not that different from like Florida or certain parts of Brooklyn. Now, the Black Death had also just happened half a century ago, wiping out 50% of France's population, which to the French meant, okay, God is not happy. And it was easy for medieval French people and therefore medieval French soldiers to think, oh, that's why we're losing to the English, because God is not on our side. Now, again, lucky for Joan, this prophecy had been making the rounds that predicted, and I quote, France will be lost by a woman and restored by a virgin. This prophecy was so well known that even Joni up there in the nosebleeds of northeastern France had heard it. She used it to persuade her local magistrate to take her seriously and to take her to the king, which means that Charles must have known about it too. And we have to ask who else did, because clearly it fit a little too perfectly for all parties. The woman who had lost France was obviously Queen Isabeau, Charles's mother, who had given France to the English, and the heaven-sent virgin would of course be Joan. But what does all this mean for how we understand Joan as a person? 
I think it's important context because clearly there was more to her than meets the eye. She was too well-informed, too successful, too skilled not to have some skeletons in her closet. But the fact that she got as far as she did with what must have been limited resources, no matter who was supporting or orchestrating her, tells us she was an extraordinarily courageous woman as well as an independent and unorthodox thinker. So when we look at the evidence for her non-binariness, we have to remember Joan wasn't just a simple peasant girl peddling Catholic mumbo-jumbo. She was an intelligent and informed opportunist on the battlefield and off who rose from obscurity to ennoble her family, change history, and become a legend. And she did it in two years, faster than Jesus. What does all this have to do with the fundamental question at hand? Which again is this, was Joan non-binary or was she, in those immortal words, just another virgin who can't drive? Oh, that was way harsh, Ty. I'm going to come right out and say it. I think it's a pretty big stretch to say Joan was non-binary or trans in any way resembling how we understand those words. First and foremost, Joan was always identified through her moniker, La Pucelle, which means the maiden, at every point throughout her short but brilliant and highly publicized career. She was always Jeanne La Pucelle, La Pucelle, La Pucelle, Joan the maiden, always, always, always. And that's important to point out because Joan did wear men's clothing and men's armor, but she never tried to claim she was male or that she wasn't female. Everyone knew that she was a young woman. Joan's story is not the Mulan story. She didn't infiltrate the army presenting as a man. And actually, it was important that she was known as a young woman because that was part of the prophecy, right? Joan was something else, something more powerful in a way. She was a maiden, a virginal woman who was also a warrior, which in medieval France, meant that she was also kind of a man. She kind of reminds me in this sense of Greta Thunberg, right? Like, she's a young woman whose immaturity, and I use that in the very literal sense of the word, only serves to heighten her appeal and her grip over our imaginations. Which, by the way, I've always thought is kind of misogynistic and belittling in a way. It's like, if a silly little girl can see the truth, then why can't you? Like, that's sort of what we're saying, I think. And when messiahs are men, Jesus, Muhammad, we start religions for them. We take them seriously. But when they're girls, we give them money and magazine covers, and then conveniently ignore them whenever we're done with the pageant show. But I digress. All of the above is simply to say we can't use words like non-binary or trans to describe Joan, if we're considering the situation from her personal perspective and, and from the context of her time. But there is something else that allowed her to challenge gender norms in this time period. So maybe we shouldn't call it non-binary, but she's still operating in a gender non-conforming way. And where does that come from? Well, about, I would say 50% of it is this virginity issue, and the other 50% is her spirituality. As a virgin, and Joan was more than once submitted to virginity tests to verify her hymen's much suspected claims, Joan was able to desexualize herself. She had actually taken a vow of chastity at 13 and never broke it as far as we know. So her reputation as a maiden, Jeanne La Pucelle, meant that to the medieval mind, she could never entirely be Joan the woman. She didn't have children. She also apparently didn't have periods. Um, and as one scholar put it, as a virgin, she wasn't associated with the messy female body, which is how medieval people thought about um, women's bodies at the time. She also rightly feared abuse and sexual assault in an age ripped apart by civil violence. So in her relatively short string of military campaigns, she probably wore men's clothes partly to protect herself, but also to define her role. The only other women who found themselves in military camps were prostitutes. And Joan was no whore, except for attention. 
By maintaining her virginity and using it to characterize her public personality, Joan didn't have to fulfill the same roles as a medieval woman. She was in a different category. She wasn't a man, but she also wasn't a woman, or not yet, at least. The other weapon Joan had at her gender disposal was her piety, her spirituality. Joan always maintained that God commanded her to do the subversive things she did. Dress like a man, lead men in battle, play a politics, capture fortresses, crown kings, and of course, most terrifying of all, keeping her hair cut short. And most importantly, she was winning, at least in the beginning. God was clearly on her side. If she's winning all these battles, how could God's command for her to wear men's clothes and some armor be wrong? God was the supreme authority at the time, and Joan used that to her advantage. The Bible explicitly forbade cross-dressing, as her prosecutors would later note at her trial, but Joan's divinely ordained mission demanded it. You can't really argue with that. Until, of course, they burn you to death in the town square. But besides that, we also have to try to imagine what it meant for Joan to wear men's clothing and armor. Playing with gender through fashion definitely happened in medieval Europe, but clothing had a different social meaning back then. It identified you. It told people your gender, your class, your age, your nationality, your job, your role and function in society. To put on men's clothes in 1429, to put on a warrior's armor in France, was therefore in some way to become a man. That's why it was so transgressive. We have evidence, for example, that courtesans in Italy, who are basically high-class hookers, around the same time reported doing it to titillate their customers, to keep them on their kinky toes. But then at the same time, we have to understand how serious this was when you got in trouble for it. At her trial, Joan's accusers called out her dressing as a man in the same breath as her heresy charges. And heresy was basically, at the time, like killing a baby in public and laughing about it. Like, the worst thing that you could ever do. So it just goes to show how dangerous and how damning this charge of cross-dressing really was. But Joan, whether she genuinely wanted to dress as a man or not, I mean, I don't even think, I'm not sure that's really something we can know. Joan was protecting herself by tying her cross-dressing to her spirituality. It wasn't a personal choice, at least as she presented it. It was part of God's plan for her and for France. Historians often cite this passage in her trial when she's discovered wearing men's clothes at the very end of it after she's sworn to never do so again. She's just recanted everything on pain of death. And then the bishop comes in to her jail cell and finds her dressed in men's clothes again. And we cite this sort of as proof of her non-binary defiance, right? Like even at the very end, she wanted to wear men's clothes. But we have no idea. It's probably much more likely that her English jailers threw her in men's clothes to seal her fate because they knew it would condemn her to death and they wanted her dead from a PR perspective. It's definitely unclear to me how Joan would have had access to men's clothes when she was shackled in prison. Joan then went to the stake, insisting everything she'd said about her relationship with God was true. And I don't think people typically lie when they're in their final moments roasting like a kebab. So in the end, it was God that drove everything Joan did. God allowed her to be what she was. Not woman, not man, but a virgin in armor who still couldn't drive. Even if she wasn't really sent from heaven, even if she was Joan the Maiden full stop, thank you very much, Jeanne d'Arc was still a remarkably capable, ingenious, and unorthodox human being. Obviously, the dying, screaming, and flames part sucked, but everything up to that was pretty damn impressive. Thanks for listening in this week. We'll be back with our full episodes in a few weeks. In the meantime, please give us a review if you haven't already. Share it with your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your MAGA relations. Check in on your crazy extremists. They need love too. Bye.